You're listening to Elegant Bloom Podcast. I'm your host, LaVonda Sweeney. As a melanated licensed professional counselor, my goal is to help bring awareness to mental health issues impacting the black and brown communities while dispelling the stigma of mental illness. Through my service as a therapist, as well as an adjunct psychology instructor, I have the privilege of being a small part of people's life journey in a way that I do not take for granted. It is with great passion that I bring Elegant Bloom podcast, which educates, empowers, and inspires individuals to take control of their lives Therefore, taking control of their destinies. Okay, so let's go ahead and get started. I'm going to introduce myself. My name is LaVonda Sweeney. Um, I am a licensed therapist in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, let me just read you my bio, okay? I, I didn't really want to do that, but it'll help me just kind of keep brief because I have a tendency of being very long-winded and sharing too much information. So let me just read you my bio. Um, I have a great passion for helping adults navigate through their healing process by utilizing therapeutic approaches that elicit self-empowerment and personal growth. I believe that everyone has the ability to make positive changes in their lives. As a licensed professional counselor, I am able to provide therapeutic guidance for clients who seek help for substance use, mood disorders, anxiety issues, and an array of other life-altering circumstances. I have served as a therapist for over 11 years um, and as an adjunct instructor at Greenville Technical College for two years. I hold a Bachelor's of Arts in Psychology and a Master's in Counseling um, that I received from Webster University. It is with great honor that I serve as a guide for those that are struggling with circumstances of life, attempting to minister a difficult time, or overall searching for ways to put the pieces of their lives back together. So that is me. That is me. So I'm, I am really excited to be your facilitator, your host. Um, but I am even more excited about the information that these wonderful ladies um, have to share for you. Um, have, excuse me, have to share with you. So our first speaker, her name is Tamara Houston. And before she starts, I'm going to tell you about Miss Tamara. Tamara Houston is a clinical social worker and board certified telemental health provider serving multiple states. She is a graduate of Berea College in Kentucky and University of Georgia, where she focused on community empowerment and program development. She is the CEO of Renewal Life Counseling, LLC, a multi-provider mental health practice here in the upstate. Tamara has a special interest in working with issues related to life trauma, grief and bereavement, and military servicemen and women. One of her major projects for 2020 is creating spaces for community members to receive free or low-cost mental health services and spreading the message of mental illness. And without further ado, it is my pleasure to introduce to you Ms. Tamara Houston. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So, um, LaVonda, I want to thank you for creating this space for us to be able to um, share a little bit this morning. And um, me with my extra self, I have a, a PowerPoint, so I'm going to pull that up. Okay. So we can follow along with the information that I'm sharing today. It says host, disabled, participant, screen sharing. Is there something 
and it can be, oh, okay, there we go. And let me pull this. Sorry, in. sorry about that, Samira. I thought I had fixed it. No, that's okay. That's okay. And all right. So um, this morning, I'm excited to be talking about wellness, or at least my take on wellness. Um, and my piece is entitled "Identifying the Priority." And um, all of this information just really comes from. Uh, just my experience as a clinician and, and what I'm seeing um, time and time again kind of come up in the practice in um, clients just really having a difficult time being able to identify us what some of the priorities are in their lives. And I think for our communities in particular, when we're talking about mental health, we need to know that mental health is a priority, it's a part of us. And um, hopefully this information will kind of give us some insight as to why we need to um, focus on that particular area. So um, I just want to start off a little bit just talking about wellness. I think if, um, if you come from a place where you have been employed by someone, there may have been um, like programs set up where you may have had to get like a annual checkup, right? Or, you know, they want to check your numbers. They want to see how much you weigh. They want to check your cholesterol, your blood pressure. Um, because the goal is, um, if you are well, then you're going to be more of a productive worker. So um, as I was kind of thinking about this, I think about a time that I was working in healthcare and we would have to go and get our checkups. And um, I did so, got all my numbers checked and everything. And a few weeks later, I'm sitting and I get my results and I'm looking at the, at the report and it says that I'm obese. Now. Anybody who knows me would kind of be like, what? Now, I admit I was drinking, you know, McDonald's teas every morning. <laughs> so I probably, you know, packed on some, but it just really shocked me because um, I was working in hospice at the time. And I thought, well, what is really interesting is there's no question about, well, how am I doing mentally and how it's impacting me to some days or some weeks, really, I would see several clients and then walk in the office. We would have this whiteboard and walk in the office and perhaps see every new client that I started out with that week had, had died. And what kind of impact that had on me, like what part of me was impacted by that, that that was not really a consideration in terms of how well I was doing. It wasn't part of the definition. Um, there was no data being collected about that. So I I found that that very interesting. So what we know about wellness in the traditional sense is that it's really focused on a medical model. There's numbers, they're looking at weight, they're looking at your blood pressure, your cholesterol, like I said. I want us to get from um, my topic is that it really is a holistic approach, that we can no longer look at our wellness as though it's just that physical aspect of us. But there are several pieces of us that we need to consider, and many of them are not tangible pieces, pieces that you can see. So there is a preventative approach designed to achieve optimal levels of health, social, and emotional functioning. So it's looking at all of our parts. So um, again, in, in thinking about my work, I was trying to figure out how can I relay this to people in a way that makes sense. So I thought about, well, Let's look at our indigenous culture. So I started talking about the totem pole effect. And if you have seen a totem pole, um, 
before in real life or I have a picture here. And you kind of notice if you study the totem pole, what you will see is that at the very top, you know that there's something special about whatever's at the top. And you know that because, well, it's a different color. The face is a different color, their wings. There are no wings on any other part of the totem pole. So there's something really special about that part at the top. So when we look at indigenous cult, uh, cultures, a totem pole really represented hierarchy. What is most important is at the top. And so we have to ask ourselves, what's at the top of our totem pole? And again, I think with a lot of people that I work with, they'll come in and they're talking about children, right? They're talking about their job. They're talking about their hobbies. They're talking about their spouse. And then I say, well, what are you doing for you? How do you take care of yourself? Well, it's hard to do that because I got to get the children here and I got to do this and I got, you know, there's all these things in life that um, take precedence over just having a moment to be insightful and really, um, I think, be, uh, be an investigator of how you are showing up, how you're doing. So there's a couple of things that I throw out, like one, I think I kind of, I stole from Iyanla, she talks about your cup being full. If your cup is not full, you can't give to anybody else, right? And just, if you're not well, it's really hard to show up for other people and show up in spaces and continue to give. Now, I think in our communities, we have been conditioned to do that. Oh, we'll show up. We'll be dressed nice, face be made up. We look like the package is great, right? But on the inside, there are just pieces and, and areas of us that are just lacking. It's really not functioning at the highest level. And that's really where this whole concept of paying attention to your parts come from. So I want us to kind of keep that in the back of our minds as we continue to have this discussion is, what is at the top of your totem pole? Is it your children? Is it your job, your spouse, hobbies, et cetera? What is at the top where you find yourself that you are constantly just thinking and doing and giving but it's hard to kind of figure out where do I fall in that picture. And I also want to say about the totem pole is that it is a pole. So that means that you have to have the other pieces to hold up what's at the top. So it doesn't minimize these other things, these other people, the relationships in our lives. Those are all necessary. Like my children are a part of me. My husband is a part of me for sure. But if I don't show up in a way that really presents my best self, they're not going to get the best of me. So let's keep that in the back of our minds as we continue this conversation. So then I think about, well, who who's the culprit in all of this? Is this, you know, is somebody else doing this to us? There is a book from the 1970s. It's called A Course in Miracles. Big book. So if you ever, you know, feel like you want to read a little something, it's a lot of little nuggets in there. But this is what, one of the things that really struck me um, from this book, this statement, when you give to others to the, to the degree that you sacrifice yourself, you make the other person a thief. That's some really strong words. And it kind of hits me in my, in my gut because it's really talking about enabling. It is you showing up, 
you're giving everything that you have, you're doing extra, you're, you continue to try to pour from an empty cup. And what it does to the other people in your life is it doesn't allow them to show up as their best self. And then it makes them a thief because they're taking from you and they're not trying to fill their own cup. So I say, what motivation do people have to treat you differently or expect something different from you when you continue to step in the gap for people? Like, that's what you're known as. You're, you're the strong one. How many of us are the strong ones, <laughs> right? Iyanla also says that we wear that, particularly black women, we wear that like it's a badge of honor. Like, I got this under control. Like, you big and bad because you're the strong one. Do we not um, hear that statement about you need to check on your strong friends, right? Because your strong friends are the ones that are constantly giving, but nobody's asking them, well, how are you doing? Have, have we considered that being the strong one and how we wear that as a badge of honor in our families, in our homes, in our communities? Like we have it all under control. And I'm not saying, you know, that we don't have it together and we can do things for sure. But I also think there's something to be said about this conditioning of juggling balls and responsibilities and then someone drops their ball and we just pick it up. We just add it on to our stack of things as though we don't already have a lot going on. We need to evaluate those relationships and see who we are enabling to be thieves in our lives. And I don't even like that term <laughs> anyway. You know, I don't want to be known as that. So there are some correcting that we need to do in those relationships. This is out of order, but this is another quote that self-care is an intentional act of loving, healing, and breathing life into your soul. So why is it so difficult? Why is this so difficult for us to do to be compassionate to ourselves and want the best for ourselves, want us to be able to show up in, in ways that can really and truly be celebrated and we can feel really confident? about. So, um, you know, you have, have your Q&A, so you can kind of answer this, this in here, but does this look familiar to anyone at all? It's kind of like a blob, an amoeba, or something, but no real, you know, definite shape to it. Um, in the middle, it says self-wellness, not balance, not round. So, if you think of yourself like you are a wheel or a ball. Your person is a wheel or a ball. It is designed that way for a purpose. That if you roll it, you know, put, put just a little bit of speed behind it, it's just gonna keep, it's gonna go, right? And this is how we show up in the world. We're doing, we're doing, we're doing. This is the problem. What about if it's a wheel that's uh, deflated or it's a ball that's deflated? Right, and you kind of pick it up, you can kind of mush it in a little bit. If you put a little bit of speed behind it, it's going to roll for a little bit and then it's going to stop real quick. But if you put some speed behind that thing, it's going to go. And this is how we show up in the world. We look like this, 
but we don't know it because everything is busy, go, next thing, next job, next, you know, whatever. We can't see how unbalanced we are. And this is really what, what happens just kind of organically every, every day when we get up, even throughout the day, is that our bodies is constantly trying to figure out ways to be able to balance itself. Um, so when the focus is not on the whole, the other parts have to compensate. And so this is what this looks like, is that a person can not be doing so well mentally and emotionally, but it's hard to see that because they got this job right and they're making good money. So the mental and the emotional part doesn't seem to matter so much. Or they're stressed out about whatever is going on at home and they'll show up at the gym every day and they will work out for a couple of hours, but then they return home and don't have the conversations that they need to have with their families. That's out of balance. That's out of balance. And so I want to just briefly bring up um, things that are happening with us right now and how that impacts us um, so that it contributes to this really odd shape. We're in the midst of some pandemics, okay? Both like in the health field and um, racially, there are some things that are going on that are impacting us. It does nobody any good to ignore those things, nor does it do us any good to feel like um, through, through whatever systems that we're getting this from is that we have to show up and we have to show up at everything and be in, in everything. That is not really what we need to be doing to ourselves. What we need to be doing is looking at the whole part and thinking, how can I show up in this way as my best self? So you may not be the person out there, you know, that's able to protest, but it may be satisfying enough to you in terms of what's going on socially for you to be able to write to your congressman or woman. That may be how you can show up and that may be all you have to give. And it's not fair to you to, um, to minimize your efforts in that way. Um, I remember, and you know, not so long ago in the past three months when all of this was first started happening with um, COVID-19, it really burned me up when I would read articles about um, and, and just a little post about, oh, if you come out of the pandemic and you don't have a new business or you don't have a new this or if your life isn't all together, then you just wasted time. That really burned me up because I'm thinking there has been a world adjustment that has taken place and we're actually still in the midst of it, right? So you went from people not knowing what was gonna go on with their jobs, then having to e-learn. So I don't know how many out here were e-learning. I was e-learning, two of them. And um, that's not my calling. I realized that that's not my calling, right? But I had to do the best that I had to do with. And there were some days I was like, you know what, girls, we, um, we, we not going to school today because I just didn't have it to give in that moment, right? Trying to assist them, trying to also pivot a practice, trying to show up for myself. You do the best that you have to do with. And I just want to drop like a really quick tip right here 
that when I, when I think about how to um, conceptualize or, or help someone visualize what this may look like is control the controllables. So maybe when you were younger, you learned how to uh, draw a turkey with your hand right. So you just put your hand on a piece of paper and outline your hand and that's your turkey. You would add the feathers and all that stuff on it. Inside the hand, you put the things that you can control. So if I'm thinking, how do I work on this financial piece? I'm writing in those boundaries of my hand, the outline of my hand, what can I do to have positive change in my life financially? What can I do to have positive change in my life mentally? Outside of that boundary, my hand, I write all the things that I can't do nothing about. I can't show up, I can't say anything, I can't, there's nothing that I'm going to be able to do to impart change in those areas. This is also a part of self-care is us being able to recognize what our boundaries are. So um, if there's any questions about that, I can go into that later. So I just wanna share this other resource. This is a self-care wheel, you can Google this and um, print this off. But I really like this wheel because it reminds us of this is the shape that we should be trying to attain. Um, in reality, it's not going to be this perfect, but I assure you that in here, it talks about life balance and it has the same areas in the wedges and you may not be able to see it on the screen right now, but if you print it off or look at it online, you can look in each wedge and say, if you're trying to figure out, okay, physically, I know that I'm not showing up as my best self, what can I do? It has some tips in each wedge that can give you a good place to start, right? My thing is work smarter, not harder. You don't have to figure all of this out by yourself. There are plenty of resources out here and, and more will be shared today, but this is just one that you can go to to figure out where do I start to get myself more balanced. So please, when you have a moment, look into that. So just wanna do a quick comparison. When there's no balance, this was based off some research from 2017, when there's no balance, these are some of the numbers that we see. There's 52, and this was done um, with people in America, so these just based off of um, American research. So this is 52% of people were over, overweight or obese when there's no balance. 24% actively disengaged in work. They're showing up, but they're not showing up as their best selves, right? 117 million Americans with chronic illnesses account for 75% of all healthcare costs. And this was in 2017, so we're three years later. Imagine what that number is now and higher reports of depression. What we want to see work to work is more active communities. This is a great time right now to be able to walk around in your cul-de-sac. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just go for a little walk. That gets you going in the right direction. Just having better work-life balance. Um, increased use of preventative care services. So this is before, you know, things get so bad. This is you just getting your checkups and checking your numbers in and trying to figure out what can I do to um, not get to the point where I've been diagnosed with a high blood pressure or high cholesterol. And then being able to manage symptoms related to depression and anxiety. That's what we want to see. And I also want to share this piece about just being able to know the difference. That there's a difference between being selfish and being selfful. Selfish is lacking consideration for others. Period. Point blank. I do what I want when I want. Being selfful is taking action 
It's making decisions, giving to others for the well-being of themselves as well as the people around them. So again, it's I'm going to make sure that I'm functioning as my best self so that when I show up at home, I can give my best. When I show up at work, I can give my best. Like this is my best self. There's a difference between that. So we really need to move away from this narrative about when we decide to focus on ourselves and take care of ourselves, oh, that's being selfish. I hear that statement all the time. It's being self-full. If I take care of me, you're going to get the best of me, right? The best parent, the best mother, the best coworker, the best friend, you're going to get the best. So just a couple of um, kind of tips here that we can, again, add to our toolbox to um, support us in this area of self-care. Affirmation exercises. We need to, again, change the narrative, change the schema, the self-talk that we have going on and not falling into this, I can't, I won't, it's too hard, it's too this. Let's focus on the things that you can do. Let's speak, you know, power into the things that you want to do. Let's have some, um, you know, some of those powerful statements. Prayer, meditation, yoga, just a moment to be still, to be mindful, just to engage in the moment. Having that time of clarity can help you in a lot of different areas of your life. This is my favorite one, mind your business. Mind your business. And what I mean by that is really going back to the, the exercise I said about the hand is you need to control the controllables. It is not necessary for you to hop in everything, for you to say yes to everything. You can say no, period, no exclamation point, however that need to be. Create your space. Know what your boundary is and what you can do, what you will tolerate, and what you won't. Having an, uh, uh, an accountability partner, I think, is very important as well. Just somebody that, that knows you. It doesn't have to be like you telling your business to everybody, but just somebody that you can check in with that can be like, you know what? You're going left. You're doing too much. We need that kind of support with each other. Feeding yourself. And I'm not just talking about food. Food is good, but knowledge. Feeding yourself knowledge. It's okay to pick up a book and read a book a self-help book, to read an article, anything to help improve our mind in the way we're thinking about things and getting back to the basics, just spending time with ourselves, spending time with our families, um, kind of checking out from the TV and the devices. Everybody got 50 devices, right? So, you know, checking away from those things and just making sure that we are doing the very basics that we need to do to make sure that we are full. Um, some of you may not you know, know much about Maslow, but he was uh, one of the, the founders of, of uh, a theoretical approach in this hierarchy of needs. And this is going back to the basics, the physiological piece. There are some things that we need to have in place before we can even start talking about things like problem solving, lack of justice, acceptance of facts. And these are things that are occurring in our world today. Make sure that bottom piece is together. And if not, reach out to somebody to get assistance with getting those resources so that we can start building and getting you to the top of that self-actualization, right? So this is um, my contact information here. And I'm just going to end with this piece, just a little visual visualization. I think about... Um, if I could go out and purchase a brand new car today, what kind of car would that be? Mine would be 
a silver Lexus something other something other. I don't know, but it's gonna have some things on it. Y'all know what things are. It's gonna have some things on it, maybe a little bit of tint. I don't know, but I'm gonna be chilling, right? So I go out and I purchase this car. And you know how we are when we get a new car. We make sure that thing is clean. You can't touch it. You can't sit on it. You and bet not eat in it. Okay. None of that. We want to maintain that fresh smell as long as we can. So I get this car and I'm chilling. I'm doing my thing. You know, it's nice out today. So I go for a little ride. Past couple of weeks, I've been making sure I've been keeping it clean, right? Um, even went and, you know, took it to the place to make sure it wasn't time for me to get my oil changed. But I'm doing these things because I want to maintain my car. So I get on the highway here and I'm, you know, doing the thing. And I say, well, um, I'm just going to stop up here and grab me something to eat. I'm at the stoplight and I go to press the gas, right? And it's like acting like it don't want to go. And I'm like, well, wait minute this is a 2020 lexus with things on it, a little bit of tint what's happening i cleaned it out i took it to the shop got it looked over everything looks like it's fine then i go through the light next thing you know i'm on the side of the road the car just ain't moving what has happened has it malfunctioned and i'm checking everything to see what's going on then i notice in the you know little dash there that the gas light is on. I ain't got no gas. This can be us. Again, packaged really nice, looking so well put together on the outside, shining. Everything is in its place. But the very basic things that we need to do to be able to show up well, to do what we need to do, and all the different spaces in which we are required to do them, we don't take care of the basic needs. Now, I don't know about you, but it'll be a shame for me to be stuck on the side of the road because I didn't put gas in my car. Fuel up. Thank you for your time. I appreciate your attention and um, look forward to learning some more from the other speakers today. That was amazing. Thank you so much. I wrote, I wrote a couple things down. I wrote selfish versus selfful. I, I love it. I love it. And then I'm sitting here like, what's at the top of my totem pole? Oh, what's at the top of that? So that's some things I'm I'm going to ponder. Um, You did have one question. It wasn't a question about the content. It was actually a question about one of your specific slides. Um, But we're going to go to, we're going to go, we're going to go to the, to the next presenter. Um, And it was a simple question, um, Tamara. She, she wanted, Jocelyn, Jocelyn asked about one of your, one of your slides. I don't know what specific slide she's talking about, but there's some, something that you covered. Um, that she wants to wants to have access to. So we'll we'll, okay. we'll, we'll take spaces with that in a minute. Thank you so much, Tamara. I really, really do appreciate that. Um, and as again, if you all have any questions, there is a Q and A um, at at the bottom. You can also type it in the chat if you if if that's easier for you. But I will do our best to keep up with uh, with the questions. All right. Um, Okay, so our next presenter is Miss Lakia Downs. I'm going to tell you a little bit about her and then she is going to share the information that she has for you. All right, Lakia Downs is a licensed clinical social worker, coach, and consultant. She is the owner and founder of the SOAR Firm LLC, a private practice located in Greenville, South Carolina. Lakia is a graduate of Lander University where she obtained a Bachelor of Science in Sociology and a graduate of the University of South Carolina where she obtained a Master's in Social Work. Go Gamecocks. 
Lakia has over 10 years of experience working with individuals and groups in a variety of settings. Some of her experience includes psychotherapy, child welfare, program management, leadership training, and coaching. Lakia is very passionate about helping individuals grow, discover their purpose, and become their best selves. She also enjoys serving others and her community. In her spare time, Lakia enjoys running, traveling, and spending time with her family. And it is my pleasure to welcome to you, Miss Lakia Downs. Thank you, thank you, Lavanda. Um, it's a pleasure to be here this morning and just wanna say um, welcome to everyone um, who is on the call today. Um, so today what my focus is going to be um, on is how to find the right therapist. One of the things I want to share first is that there is no one therapist for all people. And so no two therapists are alike and every therapist has their own personality. They have their own different type of work style as well as their area of specialty. And so today we're going to just kind of highlight some things that for those of you who may be considering going into therapy for the first time, or maybe you've had a not so great experience um, during your first time doing therapy, just kind of share with y'all just some tips and suggestions on how to kind of pinpoint who may be a good fit for you. Um, one of the things that I tend to hear a lot of times when it comes to people, you know, engaging in therapy for the first time or considering it is you know this perception that therapists just tell people what to do and so i always tell people that you know as therapists we can empower you but our role is not to tell you what to do but it's to help empower you to make your own decisions and the thing is that sometimes we don't always see our problems or our challenges from every angle and so it's good to have someone who specializes in that to help us see our situations from a different perspective so that we can make informed decisions on how to move forward and how to you know, resolve our problems. So where do I even start? Um, I always ask people to just ask your family and friends. You know, they, your family and your friends, they tend to know you better. They know what you're like. And so there may be family members or friends that you have who have a therapist or have done therapy in the past that could kind of guide you to who may be a good fit for you. I can't tell you how many times I get a lot of referrals from, you know, people who were referred by a friend or people who were referred by a family member. And so that's a good place to start. Um, if you're not comfortable with asking family and friends, then online is a great place to start. Google is great, you know, all you have to do is just type in therapist in my area <clears throat> and there will be a list of, you know, different therapists, um, websites. Psychology Today is probably one of the more popular sites where you can go and find um, a therapist. Um, the thing about Psychology Today is that it narrows it down, you know, to the type of insurance that you have, your issues that you're dealing with. Um, it narrows it down by location. And so I love psychology today because it is really a good space to kind of narrow down what you're actually looking for um, in a therapist or what you would prefer. Open Path um, Collective is also a great resource. 
Um, this is kind of a new up and coming um, website and open path is typically for people who maybe don't have insurance, but they want to, you know, have affordable therapy. And so I believe you just pay like a one time membership fee and that membership fee will allow you to have access to different therapists within that network who offer therapy on a sliding fee scale. I think at the most you may pay up to maybe like 60 or $65 a session if you don't have insurance, but it just depends on your financial circumstances. So Open Path um, Collective is another great resource. Um, two other great websites to find therapists, particularly for those who want clinicians of color, Therapy for Black Men is a great resource as well as Therapy for Black Girls. So those are some great places to start. Um, you can also um, find therapists through your insurance companies. Most insurance um, websites will give you access to all of the clinicians that are within your network. Um, they'll give you address. They also will specify, you know, their specialties. So that's a good place to start. And then also um, employee assistant programs, other, otherwise known as EAP. Many employers offer some sort of EAP service. And it's so interesting how a lot of people don't even know that EAPs exist. So what the um, EAP program is, is that it provides um, an employee with a certain amount of free sessions that they can utilize um, with the therapist. So most people, all you have to do is just contact your HR department or go to your supervisor and say, hey, how do I get in contact with our EAP provider? And they can direct you and kind of um, help you navigate that process. But it's a free resource. So for those of us who say, I can't afford therapy or you know, it's just too expensive. If you work a full-time job and sometimes even if you work part-time, most employers offer this as a resource. So be sure to tap into that um, as well. Some other things that I think are important to consider when you're looking for the right therapist is gender. There are some people who only prefer to work with females. There are some people who only prefer to work with males. So it's important that you, know, you consider what are you comfortable with? And that's okay. You know, I know that I'm not for everyone. And so most therapists know that we're not for everyone. So we, we're not offended, you know, if a client or a potential client says, you know what, I would just prefer to work with a male or I would just prefer to work with a female. We understand that that's an important aspect of whether or not that client is going to be able to connect. Um, ethnicity and race. Let's just be honest. Sometimes we want to work with someone who looks like us. Um, I get it all the time, you know, when I have clients who are trying therapy for the first time, they're just like, listen, I searched high and low for a black female therapist and I finally found one because I just didn't feel comfortable, you know, working with anyone else. And I think we have to be honest with ourselves about that because sometimes we want to connect with people or um, go into therapy with people who look like us because we feel like, okay, they can relate. Um, and that's an important aspect when it comes to finding a therapist. Culture is also important. Um, cultural background, people who come from, you know, maybe different cultures of, from different countries, you know, that may be something that you have to consider as well. So 
those are things that if those are important to you, then by all means, don't stop looking until you find what you're looking for. Spiritual beliefs is also another aspect that people may want to consider when it comes to finding a therapist as well. There are people who just want to work with people who have their same spiritual beliefs, and that's okay. Um, most therapists and all therapists are trained to work with um, individuals from all sectors of faith, but if that is what you're most comfortable with, then by all means, then that's what you should search for. So once I've kind of narrowed down a few um, potential therapists, and I always tell people like narrow it down to maybe like two or three, because when you're looking, sometimes it can be very overwhelming because you, you know, just have all these therapists, you know, that you're looking at and it's like, okay, how can I narrow it down? So narrow it down as much as possible and maybe just contact two or three. So ask them, you know, interview your therapist. It's okay. Like a lot of times people think that it's not okay to interview your therapist. Remember, this is your life. So at the end of the day, you know, you want somebody that is going to be in alignment with your goals and what you desire to get out of your time in therapy. So you can interview your therapist. Some things that you may want to um, consider asking them is like, you know, what is your specialty? You know, what do you specialize in? Do you specialize in trauma? Do you specialize in relationships? Um, do you specialize in childhood issues or behavioral issues, depending on if they're working with children or adolescents or adults? Um, do you specialize in working with the geriatric population? So depending on what you're looking for and what your challenges are, you just ask them like, hey, what are your specialties? Um, for some therapists, they have special training certifications, and usually that's indicated on their website or on Psychology Today. Most therapists um, have that information available so that clients know up front. Credentials, you know, there are so many different types of credentials in the therapeutic world. Um, we have licensed professional counselors, we have licensed clinical social workers, we have licensed marriage family therapists, um, as well as psychologists and psychiatrists. So depending upon what you're looking for, um, you may want to ask them what their credentials are. Because even though we all have different credentials, sometimes our area of focus is just slightly different, okay? And so have your, you know, that potential therapist kind of share with you, like, what is your focus? How do you typically work with clients? Um, also find out like what are their fees you know every therapist you know may charge a different fee um, if you have insurance of course that may differ so you can contact your insurance company oftentimes they will let you know like what your copay is what your deductible is um, and what you need in order to be able to meet what you need to have in order to meet that deductible but find out you know if the therapist is affordable Figure out their office hours. Ask about office hours. Um, there are many therapists who do offer extended office hours, such as evening hours, as well as weekend hours. I will say not all therapists do, but many of them do. Um, so this is a great question to ask up front. And I will say something to that. You know, sometimes when I am talking with potential um, 
clients, they may say, well, I, I don't get off until, you know, this time, or, you know, my job, you know, is so, my job schedule is so hectic. Therapy is a medical appointment. <laughs> you know, this is a part of your health. So just as if you would take off to go to a typical, you know, primary care physician, many employers will excuse, you know, therapy appointments because this is a part of your health. And I think it's important that we learn to kind of shift our focus and see it from that aspect. Because think about it. If your mind is not well, it's going to affect other parts of your body. So people, you know, they'll tell me, well, I don't get off till five. And I say, well, you know, I close at, you know, 530. So I can provide a work excuse for you if you'd like, or, you know, maybe talk with your supervisor, your company, let them know. Um, but I think it's important that we begin to make our mental health a priority and not just make it something that we try to finagle or pencil in when it's convenient, but be intentional about definitely making it a priority. So ask about office hours and as well as ask about, you know, what kind of insurance do they accept? Not all therapists and clinicians accept um, all insurance companies. So that's something that you definitely want to make sure that's the first thing you ask when you're calling. Another good question to ask is that, do they have experience working with people who are dealing with your current challenges? Like I said before, you know, every therapist and clinician has their own area of specialty. So I, I'm probably not going to work with someone um, who has, you know, behavioral issues if that's not my area of specialty. And therapists, you know, we are, most of us are very intentional about, listen, if this is out of my area of expertise or if this is out of my comfort zone, I'm going to refer you to someone um, who can better service your needs. So be intentional about asking them that question. What is your experience in working with people who are dealing with what I'm dealing with? Um, it is also good when you're connecting with that therapist over the phone to just kind of give them a brief overview of what you're um, currently dealing with. You don't have to go into a whole slew of details, but just kind of giving them a brief synopsis so that they can kind of um, decide like, okay, yes, you know, this is something that I am very well versed in and we can, you know, set up an appointment to kind of go more in detail. Also, you know, do you feel comfortable with them? You know, and talking with them over the phone, like, are they pretty receptive? Are they pleasant? Um, what is your comfort level with them? It is um, typical to feel nervous when you're calling for the first time or going to a session for the first time. So it is, you know, it's normal to feel a little uncomfortable, but just like with any relationship, you know, it takes some time and um, to build that trust and that rapport. Um, when you schedule your first appointment, there may be some paperwork that your therapist may require you to fill out this information they may um, ask you know information on your background what are your symptoms you know have you had any previous treatment is there a family history of mental illness or um, medical issues and so this is important because it helps the therapist get a bigger picture of you know your history and things that may be going on around you to help kind of piece together the puzzle so that they can help you um, expect questions. You know, <laughs> I hear this sometimes, you know, I just don't want to be, you know, asked all these questions. 
And it's like, in order for a therapist to really get an idea of what you're dealing with and help get to the root cause, because it's not just enough to deal with the symptoms, but we have to dig and dig a little deep and we have to go underneath the surface and kind of figure out what's at the root of all of the issues and challenges. So they're going to ask you some questions. Um, it's not because they're, they're trying to pry anything out of you, but it's really a part of our assessment process so that we can get a better picture. Um, and I tell clients, you know, if there is a question that I ask you and you're not at a place where you're comfortable at answering it just yet, let me know. You know, I'm not going to be offended, um, but I do tell them that there may be some times where we have to talk about those uncomfortable things. We have to bring those things to the surface because how else will we get to the root of things and heal and unearth the things that need to be unearthed and help, you know, move that person in the direction towards healing unless we address and face some of those difficult um, situations and experiences. So they will ask you um, questions, but you can also ask questions too, because this is a collaborative process. This is your journey. And so you may want to ask if this is your first time um, engaging in the therapeutic process, you know, asking your therapist, you know, what can I expect in my sessions? And once again, like I said, every therapist is different. So their, their sessions may be structured differently. So if you've done therapy before with someone else and then you begin a process with a new therapist, there may be different. So asking them, what is your, um, what are the, uh, the sessions like? What can I expect? How long will each session last? Um, and how many sessions might it take to resolve my issues? This is a question I get many times over the phone and I tell people that, you know, it just depends on the person. It depends on how willing they are to engage the work. It depends on what the challenges are and what we're addressing. So it really just depends. Um, and then also asking them, you know, how can you ensure my confidentiality? As therapists, it's our role to maintain confidentiality. And so <clears throat> there are eth ethical obligations that we have. We don't just go out here and put your business out in the street because we are required to maintain confidentiality, um, except for you know, situations where a person wants to harm themselves or harm others. But for the most part, we are all therapists, you know, whether it's LPC, LCSW, LMFT, um, as well as doctors, we have an ethical obligation to maintain your confidentiality. Another um, thing to expect in your therapeutic sessions and process is to expect a plan. As I said before, you know, therapy is a collaborative process. So there are going to be some goals that are going to be identified. And if you're unsure what those goals are, ask your therapist. Um, in most cases, a good therapist will, you know, kind of help you identify like, okay, these are some great places to start. This is what, you know, we'll do in order to begin to work on this goal. But they should be able to share with you some goals that they have identified for um, your time and for your session, for your journey. But if you are unsure, ask them. Um, there may be some things that you want to you know, address first and that's okay. Um, I tell my clients that I'm in the passenger side. I'm still letting you drive the, the car, drive the train, 
but I'm on the passenger side to help just kind of facilitate the process. You know, there may be some times I'm like, okay, you're going in the wrong direction. Let's, you know, steer this way a little bit. But our goal is to empower you all to live your best lives, not necessarily control how you do that, but empower you to make good decisions um, and to do things that are going to benefit you holistically. I also want to remind you all that there's no quick fix. So therapy, people come to therapy and they're like, you know, I just want this to be all over with. And I tell people that whatever you decide to put in this process is what you'll get out of it. And so there is no quick fix, especially if you're coming in with a lot of childhood trauma um, and just experiences that have just really kind of festered over time. That can take time to unpack, all right? So it's like pack, unpacking those bags, right? So being patient, not just um, with your therapist in the process, but being patient with yourself because there are going to be some things about you that you may uh, that may come up that you may not like um, but your therapist is going to be there to support you through learning how to navigate that so being patient with yourself giving yourself some grace um, is going to be very very important as you engage the process expect homework um, and i actually just decided to change that phrase because i had a client the other day she's like when you say homework, I just get, I just tense up. You know, I think about when I'm in school and I'm like, okay, if I don't get this done, you know, she's gonna give me an F or something like that. And so I was like, you know what? You're the first person who's brought that up. So because she said that, it made me aware like, hmm, I don't wanna, I don't wanna create anxiety for my clients. So I told her, I said, you know what? Maybe I'll call it journey work. You know, and so I think that's a, a better way to describe some activities and some things that I'll give clients um, to do, some tasks that I'll give them um, to do in between sessions so that they can continue the work. So from now on, I'm going to start calling it journey work instead of homework, because I guess, it, you know, it definitely has less of a, um, I guess, authoritative approach, but um, just something that's a little bit more laxed. So, so Yeah. So that's one of the things too, like it's okay if there is something that your therapist um, is saying or doing that is creating an uncomfortable feeling for you, it's okay to let them know that because we may not always know um, what you're experiencing. So I was you know, very appreciative of her for bringing that to my attention because my goal is to not make her feel uncomfortable or create more anxiety, but help alleviate the anxiety. Um, so some marks of a good therapist, um, these are just some things I want you guys to consider um, when you're working with a therapist. Do they help guide you to your goals? Do they show acceptance and compassion? You know, as therapists, we are trained to be non-judgmental and non-critical. So is this therapist accepting? Are they compassionate? Um, do they challenge you? You know, therapy is, is going to be challenging. And I tell, you know, my clients that I keep it real, but I do it in love. So I'm never going to, you know, say something to you in a condescending or a mean way. But there may be some things that I may say, well, how about we look at it from this perspective as a way to challenge our thinking and our thought patterns? Um, do they check in with you? Meaning, you know, in the session, do they follow up with, you know, tell me about your week? You know, what worked well for you this week? 
you know, were there any um, issues that you came up against? So checking in with you um, as you go through your process. Do they help you learn? The goal of therapy, my hope is that, you know, when, in working with clients, that they're going to learn something, that they're going to be better. They're going to walk away with a nugget. They're going to walk away with, you know, something at, at the end of that session. So one of the questions I will ask them at the end of the session is, what were your takeaways from today? And that helps me to know, like, okay, these are some things that they took away from the session and that they're listening and that they're learning. Um, and do they treat you as an equal? Remember, therapy is a collaborative process. So are they treating you as that equal? Are they including you in um, the decision-making, so to speak, um, including you in and in asking for your input as far as the direction that you're wanting to go and the goals that you're wanting to identify for your process? Um, and then just some red flags. These are just some things that, okay, if you see these things happening, then, okay, I might need to find somebody else. If the therapist is talking more than you, all right, if the therapist is taking up the whole session, talking, and it has nothing to do with educa educating you or learning more about your, your issue or digging into um, uncovering some of the things that you guys are working on, and that may be a red flag. Um, if the therapist is making the session about them, remember, this is your money. So you're paying for these sessions. Um, so make sure that, you know, you feel like you have a say and that you're able to share, um, you know, during your sessions. Um, if the therapist is interrupting you often, believe it or not, you know, there are some therapists that have done that or can do that sometimes. So, you know, I always make it a... a I always make it a mission to give my clients that space, you know, and I, I let them finish talking unless there's something that I'm like, okay, hey, can we pause for a moment? Let me put a pin right there. Um, but you want to feel comfortable, you know, sharing in your sessions um, with your therapist. Um, if your therapist has violated your confidentiality, you know, that's an ethical no-no. You know, if you find out that your therapist told your cousin, you know, about your session or, you know, that's an ethical violation. And our, there are ways that you can go about reporting that. But um, like I said earlier, you know, we are obligated to maintain that confidentiality and not put your information out there. So those are some things um, that you may want to consider um, as it relates to, you know, finding the right therapist, um, and maybe just some, like I said, some red flags that you may want to look out for that if you're seeing these things, you may want to think about, ooh, is this somebody that I feel comfortable, comfortable working with or do I need to find someone else? And I will say also too, before I end that um, you may go, you may, you know, engage in a couple of sessions with a therapist and then realize, I don't know if this is a good fit. That's okay too. And that goes back to being patient through the process. Because as I said, there's no one therapist for all people. And so you want that person that you're going to connect well with. And so usually you can kind of pick that up during the first session. And like I said, it's okay. If you decide after the first session, like, I don't know if this is going to be a good fit, let the therapist know. Um, we don't take offense to that because like I said, we know that we're not for everyone, but we can probably point you in the direction of someone who may be a better fit for you. 
So I hope that this information um, was helpful. And let me share, I'm gonna share with you all my contact information. Can you all see that? Yes. Okay, perfect. So um, this is my contact information. If you want um, more information about me, my website um, is thesorefirm.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, as well as YouTube. And um, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. But I hope that this was helpful and it was my pleasure. Thank you so much, Nikia. That was that was really really good. I, um, there's so much to be said about finding the right therapist, and I really really love the way that you laid it out for everybody um, because it made it very understandable and very simple. And it, it, it in, in my opinion, it didn't make the process scary. Um, and, and I think that's I think that's important. Um, you do you do have some questions. So I so there was. Um, if, can you go ahead and um, stop sharing your screen? Perfect. So let, there's a couple of questions, actually about four questions. Tiffany, I know that you saw one, and I have a couple, and I'm trying to, in just a second, I think it was going Okay. Well, I was trying to unhighlight. Uh, I have a key to highlight, but that's okay. Um, all right, so now it's time for the Q&A for both Tamara and Lakia. So, Tiffany, do you, do you have access to the question that was asked? Can you go ahead and ask Yes, I do. I do. I just wanted to just put out there, uh, LaVonda, your mic sounds a little garbled. I don't know if that's just on my line, but I wanted to put that out there. Um, so one question that came out um, during uh, Tamara's uh, presentation was, how do you turn off the strong without seeming to be selfish? How do, you turn, how do you turn off the strong without seeming to be selfish? Okay, so um, I think one, one of the thing is just like your buy-in to that, understanding what the difference is. And I, I did see where somebody asked um, about, that, about that slide. I think um, selffulness has to be defined. And even though I laid out a a definition there it really has to be about what resonates with you and um, kind of having an investment in the idea that you taking care of yourself is an investment into someone else because again it's it's about them being able to get the best part of you and I know again I just if I have to glean from um, different situations that I've had with clients, some of the things that I have to work through with them is being able to set healthy boundaries, defining what that is. Um, if you can imagine, a lot of people just don't, they don't understand what that looks like. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and I think particularly in our communities, and I would even specify that even more with women that we are, we tend to show up in roles and take on responsibilities that it's more of we're, we're forced to do it because they're just a lack of a number of different things. Like when you look at like the dynamics of a, a household, a lot of 
you know, our, our household is just the, 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 the woman there that is, you know, she's the parent taking care of the kids, you know, fathers are, you know, out of the picture for, for whatever reason. And so having to show up in, in different ways. And then if you can imagine being in that space for a while and then talking about, okay, getting into a relationship <laughs> there and how, like, what is that going to look like? So the boundaries, I think our idea of what, what a healthy boundary is tends can get skewed over time because we are in a place for such a long time. We just become conditioned to our environments and we, um, we behave in a way because it's necessary. It's not, you know, like we don't want certain things, but we have to show up in, in spaces in a certain way because of the circumstances that, that we have. So I think having some education around boundaries. And again, you know, of course, as, you know, clinicians, I think um, we encourage people to seek out our services or to, um, you know, allow us to help you find that good fit like Lakia was talking about. So I think there's also always that opportunities, but just, you know, looking at different resources, there are a ton of books, like there's one book that I actually worked through with clients called Boundaries by um, Cloud and Townsend. And it does have like a, um, like a biblical connotation to it. But when you think, when I think about our parts, there's a spiritual piece to us too. That it, it, you know, I can't define what you believe in and it doesn't have to mimic my own beliefs. But it's just kind of looking at these different parts. And, and I think, again, um, looking at that from a different angle, perhaps when you think about boundaries, your boundaries is, is set by circumstance. Your boundaries are set by what somebody told you they needed to be. How about you define your own boundaries and we help you to figure out what that looks like for you? Because that's something that we have to be confident in. We don't, you know, we all have our own boundaries, but we need to understand the power in being able to establish our own because that determines where we begin and where we end and where other people begin and end in our lives. And if I want you close, that's my boundary. You want to be close to me. But if I need you far away, you're going to be far. And also this idea of um, an acceptance that everybody is not going to be okay with our boundaries, <laughs> right? They want to treat us the way they want to treat us. And again, if we don't start to have an under a better understanding of what that looks like, then it's just kind of like other people define that for us. I think we take that on as stepping into interjecting, intercepting or whatever as strength. And that's not necessarily strength. That's not necessarily minding your business. And the two don't always correlate with each other. So it's having these conversations around strength, around healthy boundaries. I, I think another piece of this is being able to explore vulnerabilities. Um, there's a lot of places and spaces in which we've been hurt. And as women, we'll shut you down. <laughs> like you did it once or twice, you won't have another opportunity. You and nobody else will get an opportunity. The truth is we need to understand where that started, explore that vulnerability so that we can allow these different resources and different people to come into our lives as healthy helpers, not as people that are trying to take over, but as healthy helpers so that we can, again, be bolstered to show up as our best selves. Um, 
You know, we talk about Rome was not built in a day and it wasn't built by one person. I need people. You know, I do. As, as, as I recognize I'm, I'm an introvert, but I can cut it on and cut it off. I know when I need to show up and when I need to chill out. But I do recognize that I need people. And part of me recognizing my own strength was just having, just being open to that idea. Tamara, you can't do it alone. Do I want to do it alone? No, I don't. <laughs> to be, I don't want to do it alone. I won't help. <laughs> and that's real. But it took a lot to get there. So just imagine how many more people in our community that wear that badge of I've been doing it, I have to do it. And so we just become really attached to that narrative. And we have to start breaking those ideas down and quit relating that to being strong. Strong is asking for help when you need help. And that can be part of our new definition. Perfect, perfect. Does my sound is my sound better, ladies and gentlemen? Yes. Or if we have, okay, perfect. Um, thank you so much for that. We have a couple of other questions, and it is eleven thirteen. We may go over twelve. We still have to, we still have Tiffany and, and Dorothy to go. So for those of you who can stay, if we go over, great. If you can't stay at past twelve, that's totally understandable. So there's a, there's a couple more questions. Um, this question is really for everybody. It's from um, Monique. And there's, there's this two, it's a two-part question. She wants to know if we're if we're all if we're taking um, new clients. That's that's the first question. And then the second one is I think it's a really good question. Is, uh, do you recommend taking um, excuse me talking to multiple therapists or just sticking to one? So I'm gonna let anybody kind of answer that. I I think the overall consensus as far as taking new clients, I believe that everybody is, but I'll let you all um, answer that for yourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll go first. Um, my group practice renewal life counseling, we are accepting new clients. Um, I provided my contact information there, but again, we're on social media. The website is the namesake renewal life counseling. So you can go there and find us. And um, again, I think um, I like to think about our what, what we need in terms of seasonal. What I need right now from a therapist may be one thing and the person that I'm working with, we may be on one accord and they work perfectly for the season of life that I'm in. But then on down the road, there may be something else that, that occurs. And although I may have a good rapport with the person, they may not have um, a particular background like we were talking about what to look for in order to be able to meet those particular needs. So it's not a dismissive of, of uh, someone's skill and their ability. And it's not that, it's just, do you have training in what I'm dealing with right now. So I think my answer to that would be absolutely yes. I have people that come and go, you know, and then I have people, I will refer them to someone else because I can clearly say, you're dealing with that. That's not my area of expertise, but I provide you with another resource. So, because ultimately I think all of our work is about helping people, like empowering them, but also helping them to be able to show up as their best self. I'm lying. So I have no attachment to that other than I, I want you to be healthy. <laughs> yeah, let me let me say this. I, I think Dor I think Dorothy wants to talk. Um, but let, let me say this really quickly. Um, most of my clients um, I see in the medication assistant treatment program, they're opioid use disorder. So that's that's substance use. And so I have a few of them who see me for for that for the opioid use disorder um, and, mm -hmm. and some other some other um, co-occurring issues but they may see a marriage therapist with their husband. Um, you know, they, they may see a life coach as, as well. So I do think it's okay um, to see more than one therapist. 
but not three or four at the same time. And, and, and the reason why I say that is because as, um, I believe, I believe it was Lakia, um, we're, we're, all of our styles are different, uh, different, our approaches are different. And so you may, you may go to four different therapists and, and talk about the same thing and get four different ways to solve a problem. That can sometimes be a little bit overwhelming. Um, but you, you've, you know, you've got to kind of, kind of consider uh, what's best for you. Go ahead, Dorothy. I, I think you wanted to answer the question if you're uh, accepting new patients. Right. I just want to say that I am accepting new patients. Okay. And perfect. 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 And, um, and, and you'll, you'll share your contact information at the end of your presentation. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Um, Tiffany and Lakia. Or yes. Yes. yes Yes, Universal is accepting new clients, but I do want to just echo the sentiments that you stated that I believe that it's okay to see multiple therapists if they're working on different areas of your life, right? But if you're seeing uh, a social work therapist for marriage uh, issues, as well as the LPC for marriage issues, and then you're getting all these different perspectives about the same issue, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, then that's where there can be conflict and then there can be where you're torn. But if you do decide to see multiple therapists, allow your therapist to communicate. Right. So that that's way important. They can be on the same page and they are coordinating with one another. So there's no difference in if you're seeing someone who's providing you your psychotropic medications. Well, that, that psychiatrist should communicate with your therapist. Right. So that way that therapist can then share whether the medication is effective and, and, and all of that. So I think it's necessary in some instances to see multiple therapists who are working on multiple issues, you know, yeah. not all working on the same issue. Thank you. So th thank you so much um, for, for clarifying that, because that's important. All right. Let's move to our next question. We have an anonymous question. Um, I believe it's for you, Lakia. Um, it says, they want you to speak on the difference between a psychiatrist and a psychiatrist, uh, excuse me, psychiatrist, psychologist, counselor. So the I'm not crazy versus laying on the couch type, type idea. Okay, so a difference between a psychiatrist and a psychologist counselor. Okay. Um, one of the well, primary I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, I'm so sorry. I think, I think what they want, want to understand is the difference between a psychiatrist, a psychologist, and for us, a, a therapist, like a counselor. Therapist. Okay. Um, number one degree is definitely one of the main differences. A psychiatrist is actually a medical doctor. So they have the ability to um, prescribe medication. Therapists like clinical social workers, LMFTs, LPCs, we do not have that ability to prescribe medication. And from my understanding, I don't believe psychologists do either. That's correct. Um, they do not. So it really, degree, like a psychologist has a doctorate in psychology. So their focus is on the brain and how the brain functions and, you know, how that impacts, you know, a person's well-being. Um, with therapists like LPCs, LMFTs, and social workers, we tend to focus more on, we tend to have a, a I guess, a focus more on like a person's um, social setting, like how their social experiences, how the things around them, family, work, all of that, how that tends to impact how they show up in the world. Um, there's a greater focus on like relationships and that sort of thing. So I think that's probably, I hope I'm, I hope that's clear. I think a big difference um, with psychiatrists as well. Typically, um, they do a lot of assessments. So they'll diagnose you, they'll go through this assessment process, diagnose you, and then prescribe a medication. 
Typically, you don't see your psychiatrist every week. It's usually like a once a month. So you're really not getting um, the, the, I guess the treatment is not as intensive. And they're more so just managing your medication, seeing how, it, if it's working, if it's not working. Um, with a psychologist, um, you may see them once a month too. But with your therapist, you can see them sometimes a couple times a week, once a week, every other week, depending on you know their availability and depending on what the issues are. So with LPC social workers, um, LMFTs, um, the type of the therapy and the treatment is a little bit more intensive. So I hope that was was clear. I hope that kind of cleared up that that question. It was. It was. Does anybody else want to add anything? So, so yeah, so just, just to really quickly piggyback um, and moreover co-sign what, um, what Lakia just said, when you think about your, your therapist, the person that you're going to be seeing weekly, you're, you're not going to be talking about a psychiatrist. Um, you're going to be talking about the, you know, the LMFTs, the LPCs, the LISWs, the other social workers and things like that. That's, that's going to be us. We're, we're going to be with you every week, twice a week, three times a week, sometimes if it's in, intensive. Um, your psychiatrist, like, like Akia said, that's going to be your, your medication doctor. All right, next question. I'm trying to make sure I don't miss anything. Is, is it normal? Well, Ka I'm sorry, let, let me go to Kathy's. Kathy says, do, you, do any of you offer or recommend small group sessions? Why and why not? We, we currently do not. We're working on it um, at, at where, I, where I'm at now, but we currently do not offer any small group sessions. Anybody else? We typically do. <laughs> um, being online mainly right now, we're trying to figure out how that's going to work. And I think there needs to be an understanding of what kind of group it is. There's um, different types of groups. You can have a process group. You can have an empowerment or support group. Um, and then how that group is going to be led may be different as well, depending on um, kind of the, the approach that the person is taking. If it's a group that is pretty much going to be led and supported by the other group members, or if it's going to be um, like psychoeducational in nature. So I think there's a lot of different things. Um, in the past, we've had um, an empower empowerment group for women. Um, and it, there's been a, an educational component to that, but it was really um, just the group members kind of being able to be of support of one another and a clinician offering some information, kind of like a topic, but then they were able to support each other. Um, the trauma group that, that I do is much more process nature. It's more structured. So it's topical. Every week we have a different you know, issue that we're going to cover and, and process it out just as you would in like one-on-one um, -on -one counseling. Perfect, perfect. Anybody else? Tiffany, do y'all offer group? Yeah, so UTS does offer groups. Uh, we have been focusing uh, right before COVID on some groups for some young guys dealing with anger management and opposition and oppositional defiance uh, for some of the young guys. And so we found it beneficial. And you know, someone asks why or why not? It really is uh, based on the individual. If they feel comfortable with opening up and disclosing and sharing, um, you know, when someone enters a group, there there oftentimes is a greater sense of accountability. Um, there's also a, a, a sense of camaraderie, so that way it helps you know that you're not in this alone. So it can serve as a support for you also in entering into a group. Um, and so yeah, there's all kinds of groups, and we're also looking to start a grief and, and trauma group, um, you know, two separate groups uh, to work with individuals during this time. 
Um, so that'll be forthcoming. All right, so let's let's move on. I have a couple more questions um, that we're going to answer pretty pretty quickly. And an another anonymous um, question is: Is it normal at some point during a session that a counselor allows a person to just cry for a moment to release? The very simple, easy answer is absolutely yes. All right. the The other question is: Do any of the therapists here today accept Medicaid? Currently, I do. Well, I do at one office that I actually see see clients at. Um, what about you, other ladies? Yes, Universal Therapeutic Services primarily receives Medicaid as our funding source. Makia, Dorothy, Tamara. Renewal Life Council, we accept um, every Medicaid plan with the exception of absolute total care. Okay. And I accept um, Blue Choice Medicaid, and I also accept, I also accept Medicare as well. Okay. And, <clears throat> excuse me, I accept um, Blue Choice Medicaid and First Choice. All right. And last question is, is telehealth an option? That's kind of, that's, a, that's an easy answer, yes and no. <laughs> right now, telehealth is this is the primary source for a lot of people. Um, but a lot of the insurance companies like Medicaid and things like that. Once, all the, once everything goes back to quote unquote normal with COVID-19, um, telehealth may not be an option. But we don't know yet. But as of right now, yes, most therapists are offering it. 